Hi, this is Jacqueline Scott, and you are listening to TV Confidential. Ed Roberts, and welcoming you back to TV Confidential, a radio talk show about television that is remembering William Shallert, the iconic film and TV actor. William Shallert was born this week in 1921. So we are commemorating the anniversary of Bill's birth this week by playing highlights from some of our previous conversations with him. William Schaller passed away in 2016 at the age of 93. Let's talk about some of the different roles you did. You did an Elvis movie. Yeah, I did. Uh, it's called Speedway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I, played, I, I played a father uh, of, what do I want to call him? He was the father of the family. The wife wasn't there anymore, but he had five kids, I think. And uh, so I had a lot of five. So I was like like herding cats. <laughs> they were, some of them were pretty small. And the director was a guy named Norman Torog, who had a, a big reputation for doing, for doing good pictures with little kids. Mm-hmm. But I found he was no help at all on the set. He, he, he sort of left it up to me so, to keep the kids in line. But I had a good time doing that, and Elvis and I spent uh, spent about three hours together one day in in a in a car. There was a, we're doing process shots, you know, mm-hmm. where it looked like we were on the speedway. Yeah, and, rear screen projection. Yeah, that's a rear screen, exactly right. And in order to do that, it takes them a couple of hours to to set it up and get everything in sync. And they don't do that anymore. They use now they do it computer generated uh, CGI, but. But back then, that was the way to do it. So he and I were stuck in this car for for while they were getting set up, and so we, he's a really a lovely guy. God, what a sweet fellow he was to be with. Really nice. And uh, I tried to kiss him, but he wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but we did have a really good talk, and I asked him all the usual questions, like how'd you get started. And he told me all the stories, and uh, that's the same stuff that, that's always said about him. But it was. He was recording a song for his mother for her birthday, and, mm-hmm. and in between that, he and the guys he was singing with, they started to jam some stuff that he picked up from the black radio stations in Memphis, and the fellow at, at this uh, Sun, I think was the name of the studio, anyway, the guy who was there said, hey, why don't we put down a track, okay, that's, that sounds great, that stuff. So they did, and somebody listened to it and said, hey, what's that, wow. And so that's that's how he got started, and uh, but he told me this, and uh, and I don't know, we just had a really nice time, and he was the politest guy in the world. He kept calling me sir. It was interesting, you guys were talking about doing that, <laughs> but he, you know, he'd, he'd say sir, and I thought, wait a minute, Elvis, for Christ's sake, think who you are. You're the king, you know. Yeah, but he saw you on Patty Duke, and he loved you. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that? It was just I was older than he was. <laughs> older than everybody. Anyway, we had a but. So I, that was a nice experience. I really like working with him. He was a lot better actor than people gave him credit for. Yeah. Oh, he was he was fine. He he did he did what he had to do, and he did it well. And of course, he was, he was a sensational singer and dancer, entertainer. You know, he was he was really one of a kind. And uh, well, it's a, you can't say enough about him. It's sad the way his life ended, but 
but he uh, he was terrific. You're listening to a conversation with actor William Scheller that previously aired on TV Confidential. In July 2013, Bill shared some memories about his work in Lonely Are the Brave, the 1962 film starring Kurt Douglas and Walter Matthau that was written by Dalton Trumbo. That's, that's a wonderful picture. Yeah, I was cast in that because it was made by people at Universal, and they, they tended to think of me as a cowboy mm-hmm. sort of character. And I played... I played this guy. He was uh, a deputy sheriff to Walter Matthau. Now Matthau, you know, is marvelous with comedy and mm-hmm. things like that. And we got to know each other on that picture, and then became very good friends. And when Walter died, he's only a block away from, half a block away from the house I live in. He lived on the side of the street that, right down at the end of my block. His son Charlie still lives in the house right at the end of that. And his wife, Carol, who used to be married to Soroyan, so I kind of known her a little bit from doing plays by Soroyan. I worked in a play by Soroyan called Sam Ego's House, mm-hmm. and I played I played Sam Ego, who was a man who who had I had a long scene, uh, a long soliloquy where I talked about my life and how things had gone wrong in my life and, and all that, and I used to. It was very effective, very, very effective piece of writing, and I used to get a big hand on it every time I would finish. I would start to leave stage when it was almost at the end, and I would stop for a moment and say one last couple of sentences and then go off, and every night I did it, I got a big hand, except the night that Soroyan was <laughs> What happened was... Murphy never sleeps. I got, I got, I got finished with the with the main section and I started to go off stage and he'd, he'd forgotten that I had more to say so he started the <laughs> applause but it was the wrong place it didn't take with the audience they didn't that night it, it killed my exit so so I thanked him for that <laughs> I know that you were you were good friends with Walter up until the day he died but then you worked with him a couple other times didn't you oh yeah sure I did I did that. I did Charlie Varick, a very good picture. That's a great movie. Yeah, Don Siegel, mm-hmm. marvelous director. He did the Dirty Harry film. Mm-hmm. And Don was, he was just generally a very good director. Yeah, I played a deputy sheriff, or the local sheriff in town. Right, yeah, because uh, Walter, Walter was sort of your adversary in that, because yeah, you, you, were, you were trying to catch him. He, he, he was Charlie Varick, who yeah. was a con man, but a very, a very decent guy. Mm-hmm. And... It was a good part for Walter. Very well written. Of course, he was marvelous when he played it. And Don Siegel was a good director, so it worked very well. Uh, and I remember Don Siegel was one of the few people I know who would have done this. Uh, I had the first scene I, re- I did was a scene where the, uh, the sheriff was talking to the townspeople over a, uh, not a public address, but over a television broadcast. Mm-hmm. He was explaining to people what was going on and what they had to do to stay safe. I think that was the gist of it. So we shot that late one day. When they finished shooting it, Don said, okay, cut, Uh, we'll print that. And uh, so they started to strike the lights and all of that. And meanwhile, I I knew that I had something better in me than than what I had done. It it hadn't worked, I didn't think. Mm -hmm. So I, I went to Don and I said, Don, is it possible that we could do that again right now? Because I think 
I can give you something much better. And so he said, yeah, sure, okay. Hey, hey um, you know, if you've struck any lights, why put them back up? And we're going to do the scene again. And now I don't know very many directors who would have done that for somebody, you know, who was in a way just a minor character in the thing. But Don Siegel did. I've always respected and liked him for that. I, I loved him for it. it was yeah, and 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 it's a good it's a good role for you because you're on screen quite a bit of that, and uh, there there are a couple of comic elements. But basically, I mean, you know, you're tr- you're trying you, you're trying to get this Charlie Verrick guy. Yeah. Well, I I like. I liked what I did in it. Yeah. When I saw it, I thought, and I also thought it was a very good picture. And I'm, I'm told that it was, that it's generally ready to be one of the best things that Don Siegel did. So that's that's what I understand. That's what I understand too. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Before we say goodbye, I want to ask you one last question about uh, "Lonely Are the Brave." Sure. That was written by Dalton Trumbull, right? Yep. And I, un- I understand that uh, Kirk Douglas was instrumental in getting Dalton Trumbull off the blacklist. Yeah, he was. I found that out by chance. Uh, I, I was reading the Los Angeles Times uh, and letters to the editor. For some reason, I happened to see this one that Kirk Douglas had written to the L.A. Times in which he explained what he had done. So that's how I knew about it. I, I didn't realize it at the, at the time, but... But he said that when he was doing Spartacus, they they had fired the director on it, and they'd gotten uh, Stanley Kubrick in to direct it, mm-hmm. uh, to pick up the direction. And Kubrick said, listen, uh, I'd like to talk to the writer on this, I have a couple of ideas about what we should do in the scene. And they said, oh, well, we can't bring him on the lot, because it's, uh, it was written by Dalton Trumbo, and he's, you know, still under a cloud from the... Hugh Act, the House of American Activities Committee. And, and so Kirk Douglas said, wait a minute, he can't come on the lot. He's written the script, for Christ's sake. Come on, get, get me the, the front gate. And he said, I want to leave a drive-on pass for Dalton Trumbo, okay? And in fact, the the studio was, uh, that was MCA, mm-hmm. and uh, my brother was a writer's agent who had been taken on by MCA, and he said it was, he remembers the morning when, when that happened, because they they went to work that day, and Lou Wasserman said to them, uh, gentlemen, as of now, you may not sign any more contracts. MCA is no longer, it's been dissolved. Right. Because we had to make a choice, the government said, either you get out of the agency business, or you get out of the motion picture business, because they... They were an agency that represented actors, but they were also the owner of the Universal Studios. Right, and that was a conflict of interest. Yeah, and uh, so they, and it had been a conflict of mm-hmm. interest for, for a few years, but, but somehow or another they'd gotten away with it. Probably had something to do with Reagan. <laughs> yes, it, it had, as I understand, it had a lot to do with Reagan. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, so anyway, they more to us nil nisi bonum. Roman saying, concerning the dead, only good things. Yes, yes. Anyway, so my I lived through that with my brother. I knew what had happened, of course. He told me, and so it was while they were embroiled in in divesting themselves mm-hmm. of their ownership of universe of uh, the agency 
that all of this brouhaha happened. And so nobody noticed. That Dalton Trumbull was on the set. Yeah, you got to let Dalton Trumbull go on a lot. Well, it was high time that they did. I mean, the blacklist was over in, shortly after that. Uh, uh, John Frankenheimer did a movie called Seconds, mm-hmm. and all of the blacklisted actors were, were in it. Yeah, Will Gear, John Randolph, Jeff Corey. All, all of them. I remember I worked with Jeff Corey on the stage yeah. the year that they were, they were, he was ducking subpoenas that whole year in 1951 or two, somewhere around there. I remember he was, they caught him, they finally did, they couldn't escape them and he got called. There were, there were four actors who were called on that day. It's, it, maybe it's not a bad way to end this because it was an example of what happened to people. Of them, of the four, only Jeff Corey was ever able to really rehabilitate himself and come back and have a career. It wasn't the same career he would have had. Right. He, he lost about 10 years mm-hmm. uh, in there at, at a crucial time when he was just starting to break through as an important actor. And he didn't, he didn't get those 10 years back. But there were, there were two other guys. Uh, John Randolph and Will Gear. Yeah, well... The same thing with them, except I think they managed to stay alive. Yeah, they both. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Will Will Gear uh, did did okay. I mean, he ended up getting the Waltons uh, in in the seventies. No. And I, I never had a chance to talk to Will, but uh, I've talked to a couple of the cast members of the Waltons, and they've told me, Bill, that uh, Will Gear was ve- always grateful for his experience on the Waltons because he knew he had lost ten or twelve years of his career because yeah. of the blacklist. I know. It's- it's amazing. I was, I was supposed to replace Ralph Waite on the, the Waltons. Peggy Ray, who was the casting director for the show, had already stepped in and replaced Michael Lerner, mm-hmm. who had left the show. And Ralph Waite was going to leave it too. Peggy, she was casting director, and she liked my work, and she'd suggested me to them. And uh, so I was going to play her sweetheart, Stanley something or another, and uh, there was an episode called The Solid Gold Watch on mm-hmm. the Waltons. I did about four of them as this character who was, who was going to be a replacement. However, they, I think the kids on the show said, oh, we've had enough. And besides, we like our original parents. <laughs> we don't want to be adopted by these people. So, I don't know what they said, but, but I, the, the ABC or whoever was running the show CBS, yeah. they just decided at that point that no, it won't be the same show without without either one of the parents. So, but going back to the to the other thing of the blacklist, there was a guy named Helen Chamberlain whom I I knew pretty well at the time. I was directing him in a small play at the Circle Theater mm-hmm. for the guy who took over from us, named George Boroff, and and we uh, Holland was kind of crushed. He didn't have the the ability to survive in the way that Jeff Corey did. Holland was a real victim of the blacklist. He and there was another fellow too, his name I can't remember now, who, Al, Al Hammer, Alvin Hammer, mm-hmm. who had been part of the reviewers, uh, a very good comedy team in New York that had Leonard Bernstein and the man and the woman, very, very clever people who used to write skits. Uh, I can't remember the names now. 
but they were on Broadway, and he was part of that. They got caught up in this HUAC investigation, and they, and that was the end of it for them. They once they were they were roadkill after that, and it was just, it was really tragic to see that happen to people like that. Howlin Chamberlain never never did. I years later I worked on a play down at the Mark Taylor Forum, and he was in it, but. That's the kind of work he was able to get. He just plays, he, he, and he'd had a, a small but but you know livable wage uh, career as a small character actor, and uh, he got kind of squashed by the giant machine. Well, you've enjoyed a very long, very prolific career as a character actor, Bill, and uh, you managed to. I mean, you you avoided being squashed by the big machine, and you. You worked more often than you didn't work. We've only scratched the surface of your television career. I hope maybe later in the year you'll join us again. We'll have another conversation on the program. Yeah, I'd, I'll be happy to. You, as you know, I like to talk. <laughs> hey, talk is good for radio. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay. okay. Thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure talking to you. Yes. Actor William Shallert from a conversation that originally aired in July 2013 on T. Be confidential. Shortly after this conversation aired, I sent Bill a CD of the broadcast along with a note thanking him for sharing so much of his time on the day we recorded that show. A few days later, Bill Shallert called me up to say thank you for the CD. We not only chatted for another 10 minutes, but he gave me another great story about his days as a folk singer and the time he sang on the Partridge family in the episode The Red Woodlow story. William Shallert passed away in 2016 at the age of 93. He was a great storyteller. And he genuinely seemed to appreciate that so many people recognized his many contributions to the medium. We'll be back with more TV Confidential right after this. One more item. If you love Ella Fitzgerald, our friend Jeffrey Mark celebrates the music of the First Lady of Song every week on Jeffrey Mark Plays Ella. You can hear Jeffrey Mark Plays Ella on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you find podcasts. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.